trying to work out just how tight this title race can get, welcome to Hand of Pod. recording session this week. Last week we had a bumper one with five people and we went on for almost two hours recording and the episode was just short of an hour and a half long. Uh, This week, just a few days later, in fact we're back in the same place, Um, but there are only two of us. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined by, uh, I just completely forgot your name when I was about to introduce you, I'm joined (laughs) by by Peter Coates. Thanks, (laughs) thanks Aaron, thanks for forgetting my name. Well thank you for having me because we're in your living room. Um, We've only had one round of matches to review so far, uh, well, so far, since the last episode, um, and I think that it's going to be that way for the next few weeks now, because I think I remember looking and seeing 8th, 15th, 21st, 30th, yes, thank God, the next midweek round is not for three weeks, um, so we're going to be on a regular schedule schedule from here on in Hand of Pod um, for the next few weeks at least. Um Anyway, what has happened the weekend, the week just passed? Well, I guess uh, take your pick, really, from who, who the, bi- the big winners over the weekend. I mean, I, maybe... The biggest winners, I would say, Vellas. Vellas, yeah. Um, if only because they got the, the biggest win. <laughs> <laughs> they were the only team to score three, three goals. Um, they and played... against Belgrano, which is fairly, a, a fairly respectable uh, Indeed. win. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, they played on Saturday afternoon, evening, mm-hmm. uh, in Liniers. Um, took an early... Li- no, they didn't, mm-hmm. in fact. This was the other talking point, because as I mentioned last week during Mystic Sam's section, um, Belgrano's first six league matches of the year were a short championship record. In all six of them, they fell behind, first of all. They considered the first goal, and in all six of them, they ended up going unbeaten. Um, for the first time on Saturday, they scored the opener... And also, for the first time, they ended up losing the match. Um, Guillermo Farré scored an end of a nice team move in the 12th minute, and it was still 1-0 at half-time, but Mauro Sarate equalised very quickly in the second half, and Venice ran out 3-1 winners. They also played last night in the Copa Libertadores. It was not the same players, it was a Venice Southfield reserve team, because they were playing in La Paz, um, away to the magnificently named The Strongest of Bolivia. Um, they lost 2-0 Vélez lost 2-0 that is the strongest 1-2-0 um, with a couple of, of very nice goals better game than the scoreline suggested and it's not a game that Vélez particularly cared about as you would have guessed from the fact they fielded a reserve team um, they, they won the first two Libertadores games so it's not too serious for them I think they probably yeah. knew that they were going to struggle to win anyway so what's the point in, in risking the first team and knackering them out for the weekend I think it's a good, good idea really when you think that they can afford to lose the game their next Libertadores game will be the strongest in Liniers, mm. which you'd expect them to win, and then they'd still be top of the group. Exactly. And so you may as well keep them, keep everyone fresh for the game this weekend. The interesting uh, thing about the league table, of course, we mentioned last week about the fact that uh, 
no team after seven rounds who have fewer than ten points, or only three teams who've had fewer than ten points after seven rounds have ended up winning a short championship in Argentina since the three-point-for-a-win era came in at the start of 1995. Um, and that takes Vélez, the, the win over Belgrano, takes them up to second place. They're, they're on 13 points. Um, but we mentioned last week that you suspect that that's probably not going to hold this this term because there are so many teams dropping points, um, dropping so many points. And, well, it, it, it's happened again, hasn't it? Because Newell's <laughs> lost to Olimpo uh, 1-0 on yeah. Sunday afternoon. Um, in Bahia Blanca, Newell's very much back, as we were saying last week. They've scored four goals in their last in each of their last three home games, including the Copa Libertadores. Um, but they've not been quite so great away. They drew 0-0 with Estudiantes in the... Oh, God, a week and a half ago at the weekend, I think yeah, it round was. round five. Um, yes, that's right, yeah. They, they drew 0-0 with Estudiantes in round five. No, round six. They... Which round have we just played? We've just played round eight. Seven, we? wasn't it? Well, yeah, sorry, of course. We've got the league term before. Right, in round seven, yeah, so you're right. They drew nil nil with the Studiantes in La Plata in round um, five, and then they beat Vélez 4-1 in round six, and in round seven, um, they had another uh, game where they failed to score away from home against Olimpo. Uh, Olimpo got a 1-0 win. Uh, Ezequiel Cerruti, I think, was the goal scorer. Um, it was Olimpo, a good goal, actually, as well. It I was think. a very good goal, yeah. And, and it actually brings to an end a fairly sort of worrying short but worrying run of form for Olimpo um, because they had not won in three matches I think they'd drawn one and, and lost two I'm just checking that now yeah I think this fixture actually was a, a good example of the way Argentinian football kind of ebbs and flows in that we started the season with Olimpo on a five game winning streak hmm. and at the same time Newell's being lambasted for not having a striker and not scoring goals and people laughing at the fact that they didn't really address that issue then things turned Olimpo went into a slump dropped into the relegation zone uh, while Newell started suddenly going goal crazy they play each other in Bahia Blanca and you start to think oh maybe Newell's have started scoring Olimpo in a bit of a crisis Newell's will get an away win and Olimpo find their home form and Newell struggle away again Olimpo prior to that Newell's game had lost three out of their previous uh, four Games they got a two 0 win at home to Lanús and they but they lost two um, 0 to Arsenal at home one 0 away to All Boys and two 0 away to Boca um, the Lanús victory was in between the All Boys and the Arsenal uh, sorry the All Boys and the Boca defeats um, so at home suddenly they're they're looking strong again they've lost to Arsenal at home so far this year but they've beaten San Lorenzo two 0 Lanús two 0 and Newell's one 0 that's three of the top four from the torneo inicial yeah I mean I think we said at the very start of the torneo final that. Olimpo's home form, at least, would probably be what will keep them up. Mm. I mean, I think that you'd expect them to pick up more wins than, than anything else in Bahia Branca, and, you know, anything else away is probably a bonus, but it will be enough to keep them out of the bottom three, one, yeah. I think. And at the moment, they're about sixth from bottom in the relegation table, so they look okay. Newell's, are we worried about Newell's? They're stuck on nine points still. Mm. As I say, don't seem to be able to score away from home. But they have Eva Banega, Maxi Rodriguez just coming back from a very long trip obviously they've been to Romania with the national team um, the previous week so although they both played they perhaps weren't in absolute peak condition yeah um, I mean for that reason I, I wouldn't worry about Newell's I mean they're on what nine points which is five points off the off the top 
Yeah, um, and they're clearly prioritising the Libertadores as well. Yeah. They've got a game tomorrow evening against away to Gremio um, in Porto Alegre in Brazil. But for that reason, I, mean, I think that's... It, that Mules are a good example why the statistic that you mentioned earlier with the 10 points after six rounds not being a very good mar- a marker of not winning the league, but I think you would you would still wouldn't count Mules out. No, absolutely. Um, how did the champions do at the weekend? San Lorenzo? They drew 1-1 with... Uh, Away to Godoy Cruz. Yeah. Um, Nicolas... Ah, that was right. Yeah, they're fairly... Dull game for most of it. It sort of came to life in the last ten minutes. Nicolas Blandi put San Lorenzo one uh, 0 up in the eighty third minute, and they thought they'd won it. And then Facundo Castichon scored his first goal in nine months in stoppage time to rescue the draw that Mystic Sam had predicted all along. <sighs> so didn't I feel smug? Mystic Sam got five out of ten last week, which is uh, isn't bad. Bearing in mind the results are essentially random. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so San Lorenzo, well, avoiding defeat. Um, no, they, they, they could have, they would have gone top if they'd won. So yeah. like, they're still in a pretty good position. Obviously, they they too have Libertadores commitments, but again, you're gonna. I would have thought they're going to be in there or thereabouts come the last weekend. Yes, yeah, San Lorenzo uh, joint level on points with Belas. They're behind them on goal difference, but obviously, as we mentioned before, if uh, two teams finish level on points for the championship or for a Copa Libertadores or Sudamericana qualifying spot um, they, uh, they play off they don't use goal difference um, and speaking of San Lorenzo's Libertadores commitments we should probably mention now before we both start screaming in ecstasy as the goals start flying in um, that we are watching on mute whilst recording uh, San Lorenzo's Copa Libertadores game it's kicking off in about 10 minutes time um, and it is at home to Unión Española of Chile so that, 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 that will be why we start uh, exclaiming things if anyone scores golazos while they're playing although apparently Mauro Matos is up front rather than Nico Blandi Blandi is playing himself into some magnificent form we yeah well asked, we got asked on Friday whether Nico Blandi was, had been underrated somewhat at Boca Juniors and I said yes and I mentioned it might have been Friday or it might have been the previous episode to that um, uh, and I mentioned that, that my girlfriend's dad who's a big Boca fan always thought that Blandi was a much better player than, than he was given a chance to show at Boca um, he's now scored three goals in his last two matches for them I think four in his last or four or five in his last four or five games mm-hmm. for San Lorenzo um, much as he's a Boca player and San Lorenzo a fellow big five club it's kind of nice to see him finally somewhere that his talent seems to be um, getting its rewards at last because he did sort of feel that he was slightly under underrated at Boca but he scored both of the goals of course in the late comeback against Central in the middle of last week he scored the, the first goal well the only goal that San Lorenzo managed against Godoy Cruz at the weekend and he scored the I winner think, against the winner Racing against oh you're right yes of course the, yeah uh, I was looking at the Kilves result and that was Ignacio Piatti but yeah you're quite right the, the win against Racing in the second round um so we shall see. Mauro Matos is starting uh, this evening. Or that's what I read yesterday, anyway. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But it, it's going to be interesting to, to watch. It's a good option that San Lorenzo have, that they're able to uh, call upon someone like Mauro Matos as a backup from Libertadores. There's not many teams in Argentina that would be able to boast no. that kind of uh, levels of reserve. Of course, it's what we said in January in the Torneo Final preview episode of, as well, is that they, they've done fantastically to get both of those forwards in. And if they can if they can play well together, then 
they're brilliant. But meanwhile, whilst that partnership's developing in practice, uh, just being able to rotate them up front yeah. isn't a bad option either. Especially so when you look at leading the, line. the players that we're looking at now on the TV. Yeah, the lineup. Uh, they've got a. Four two three one with the Matos leading the line, and then Romagnoli, uh, Angel Correa, and Ignacio Piatti right behind him, which is as good an attacking lineup as, as yeah, Argentina's got, I think. And when you think that they have uh, Cataruccio to come back, mm. then at some point in oh, he said the end of March, didn't he? So yeah, who knows? In the so, next couple I mean, of weeks, that's even more impressive. He, he might be able to start um, maybe for the reserves initially. I think he's not going to be coming straight back. No, the return, course. the return date to training was the twentieth of March that he put on Twitter about a month or so ago. Um, right then, we've mentioned San Lorenzo, so we may as well talk about uh, the other four members of Argentina's big five. Um, Let's go for River Plate against Arsenal first. Did you catch any of the match, Peter? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Did you uh, regret catching any of the match afterwards? Uh, well, I mean, luckily I was wise enough to keep just one eye on it whilst yeah. doing other, other things, but obviously there was one major talking point. There was. Um, we've mentioned many times on Hand Pod about Arsenal being favoured uh, by officials. We've mentioned many times on Hand Pod about River Plate being favoured by officials as well as, obviously... Um, Boca Juniors and, and some other clubs as well um, never has there been quite as much of, of an obvious um, let's say a gimme for the conspiratorialists uh, particularly around Arsenal when last time these sides met uh, six months ago during the Doneo Inicial Arsenal had a clearly offside equaliser allowed quite late in the match and uh, it was almost as if Pablo Lunati had been told just um put this one right and let River win this one this weekend uh, for the return match because on Sunday River were playing Arsenal it was very much the kind of match that we all expected it to be River dominating possession and perhaps slightly on top but not really able to make any clean breakthroughs Arsenal playing as they do away from home and uh, not in the best form so far this year particularly in the league um, trying to keep it tight when uh, now who was it it was Nerebo wasn't it I think Hugo Nerebo um, brought down uh, Manuel Lanzini I think it was Manuel Lanzini just outside the penalty box mm-hmm. um, it was it was a foul there was a lot of uh, sort of uh, freeze framing and circling the feet um, in in a red circle afterwards to point out that it wasn't even a foul but that kind of ignored the fact that he pushed him um, in, in, in the back um, it, it was a foul it was a free kick uh, about two yards outside the penalty box <laughs> On the towards the left touchline, and uh, the referee Pablo Lunati immediately showed no doubt at all in blowing up and uh, indicating a penalty, <laughs> which Fernando Cabanaki scored. Yeah, um, it's a bizarre one because it, it wasn't even one of those decisions where you could have some sympathy for the referee in that it was no. play was moving quickly and the we're, player we're, fell we're not, into the box, and you thought, oh, okay. We're not talking, for instance, as one of my followers who didn't see it. Um, asked me on Twitter when it happened uh, we're, we're not talking a comparable incident to say um, Martin Demichelis against Lionel Messi in the first leg of Man City against Barcelona just a couple of weeks ago uh, it wasn't contact that began outside the box and ended sort of more or less on the line uh, it was quite clearly a foul that was outside the box <laughs> no, that was it then started was and no, finished two yards outside the box yeah then there was absolutely no doubt that it should not have been a penalty um, Fernando Cabanaki buried the um, Buried the penalty, River won 1-0. Good week for River. 
they they've got uh, including the the rounds that we mentioned in the last episode. The, the previous two, they have one week where they played three matches and they got seven points. Yeah. So suddenly they're not looking quite as crap, but it did complete. Well, hopefully we've completed it because hopefully they'll manage to break the cycle in the next round. Um, it took their run of matches without being able to score more than once up to 20 league games which is for a team with Rivers well with the firepower that River have got in, on paper on their squad Teofilo Gutierrez Fernando Cabanaki being backed up by um, Giovanni Simeone almost forgot his name then uh, Manuel Lancini playmaking behind them um, you'd expect them to, to have a little bit more oomph to the attack than that um, but also, of course, the, the main issue is that for a team, a club with Rivers' history, um, with Rivers' not just trophy-winning history, but with the, the style in which they have historically done it, um, it becomes incredibly difficult to justify a title challenge. And they are only three points behind league leaders, Colón de Santa Fe, still feels weird saying those words, um, with a third of the championship gone. Um it becomes increasingly difficult for them to justify that in their own heads when they're finding it so hard to score goals. Yeah, but I mean, even in the Arsenal game, from what I, when I was watching, uh, Diogo Diaz was guilty of another pretty bad miss in that game, which you know he keeps doing this season, um, which you wouldn't really expect. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Dan or any Racing fan certainly wouldn't expect that from Diogo Diaz. And as for that reason, you kind of think at some point River are going to click yeah. and start scoring more than one goal a game. The thing is, they did it during the Inicial. We, we said the way that they were playing during the Torneo Inicial um, a, a couple of times. At some point, River are going to... Everything's going to go right and someone's going to get really quite sort of seriously mauled. And I think it was Tigre um, who they... Beat three uh, one or something. It might have been the initial. Actually, it might have. No, think about it. It might have been the um, torneo final last year. Um, but they had one match where where they just they looked brilliant, and everybody was saying this is it. The River are back, and the very next week they were back to the same thing again. Um, they just it, it's clearly a long term problem, and I can't work out. They dominate possession. Yeah. They create this this season. At least they're creating decent chances. They're getting more men into the box than they were last year. And yet they continue to not be able to to put it in the net. It's yeah. I mean, I, I kind of I still sit here thinking we are going to see them tonk someone at some stage. I mean, mm. I thought the the performance against San Lorenzo in round uh, six or five, or whatever these crazy midweek rounds do. Five. To us, it was the weekend, wasn't it? Was yeah. was great. Round five. And again, that was another performance where Theo Gutierrez did score the goal. I think. Yes. But he could have had four. Yeah. And it was just through very bad finishing, which which is what kept it just to one. And for that reason, you think you think at some point players of that quality are gonna are gonna start scoring goals, and it's gonna happen. So I, I think it it will at some point. And it's I'm be- not a River fan. It's becoming like um, I read several years ago, so I might be misremembering, but the John Foot book Calcio, which is the history of Italian football, and he talks about the curse of Inter which is this thing that always existed up until Calciopoli anyway where brilliant players um, players who absolutely nobody would would say or anything under world class would get signed by Internazionale and suddenly they'd look awful and they wouldn't be able to string two passes together they wouldn't be able to score all the goals they were previously scoring and so on 
and it was like as soon as they left Inter, they go back to being brilliant. And River over the last seven or eight years, maybe have have it's almost been like that. They signed Christian Fabiani, who was superb at Newell's, and that's exactly why they signed him, and suddenly couldn't score at all. I mean, since then, he's proved that he's just not a very good player, and that was a decent season for Newell's. But they've had, you know, numerous points. Uh, Carlos Carbonero, before he yeah. signed from Arsenal, who, of course, River beat um, with Carbonero on the pitch on Sunday, uh, was the, arguably the best midfielder in the league. And for River, he's now been there for eight or nine months. Yeah, eight or nine months, and he still has yet to look... Really impressive. He's had a couple in the last few weeks, a couple of games where you start thinking that's that's Caballero's best performance yeah. for River so far, and yet he's still not putting anything, in my opinion, that, that, that was close to his average performances for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, when you think of some of the goals he scored for Arsenal uh, the season before he left, mm. were absolutely incredible. I mean, at least two of them were contenders for sort of goal of the torneo, and uh, yeah. I mean, the, He's like a different player, really, in his time at Newell's. Uh, his time at River, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's it's frustrating. It's very frustrating, if you're a River fan, it is, anyway. Um, yeah, for everyone else, it's quite funny. But talking about uh, things that are quite funny for fans of everyone else, let's get on to the Racing Club, <laughs> who uh, were at home to Boca Juniors, so we're covering two of the Big Five with one stone whilst talking um, on this match. Did you watch it? Uh, again, this is one which I uh, was keeping an eye on whilst doing other things. <laughs> I, I watched it at, at my girlfriend's um, house. She's on holiday at the moment, but I, I went round to her place to watch the football with her dad um, on Sunday afternoon and evening. Her dad's a very big Boca fan, and he spent a fair bit of the match pulling his hair out and sighing and wandering into the bedroom so he didn't have to watch too much of it and so on. Um, and yet Boca won the match. And that tells you something about how a Racing fan must have felt at the end of it. Um, Bocco won 2-1 against Racing. Juan Sanchez Mino scored a fantastic goal. Um, really nice finish with his weak foot on the end of a, a good team move down the left-hand side to put Bocca 1-0 up. Um, Sebastian Saha, halfway through the second half, equalised from the penalty spot. That's Racing's goalkeeper. And it tells you a lot about Racing's problems that he is now... Racing's joint third top scorer for the whole season, i.e. since the start of the Doneo Inicial, um, with two goals, because he's their first-choice penalty taker. That also tells you something about how frequently Racing managed to get into their opponent's box. Um, Christian Herbes then scored the winner with 15 minutes to go. And that's about all you can say for the game, really. Boca yeah, was I mean... awful, they didn't have any shape, they didn't seem to have very many ideas. Riquelme was flat again as he's increasingly been for them just recently the substitutions were peculiar um, Luciano Acosta replacing Riquelme which you can, is, is perfectly understandable but there were a couple of, of later ones, Diego Rivero for Sanchez Mino really late on and then um, Claudio Perez on for Cristian Herbes in deep into stoppage time and it was sort of maybe a change a little bit earlier on and Boca might have, have uh, come away with it slightly more comfortably because there was a just a few minutes during which Racing looked like possibly being able to capitalise on that penalty um, and yet they still ended up winning without Racing really ever, apart from that, that couple of minutes spell just after the penalty look, looking like doing anything at all um, and this is another uh, point because whilst writing my betting previews yesterday I, I had a look at the team's recent uh, f- form 
And it's rather surprising because we've talked for a, you know some a few times already this year on Hand of Pod about how Boca are just awful. Boca Juniors have won four of their last five. No, that's not right. Is it three of their last four games? Um, two in La Bombonera and um, this one away to the Racing. They lost the other one nil away to Belas Southfield. They could have been by much more. But on the face of it, three wins and one defeat in four matches isn't really the kind of form that a team have who are in such a deep crisis as Boca's crisis supposedly is. Yeah, that's true. I just think every time they do win, you kind of focus, having watched, the, for example, the Racing game, you couldn't help but think Boca's win was more a result of Racing being pretty bad than than Boca being very good. And and I think we, we kind of said the same with their 2-0 win over Olimpo in La Bombonera. Olimpo were very Surprisingly, limp. compared with how well they've played in certain other matches yeah. and, and how solid they've been for much of the year. Uh, they were surprisingly poor in La Bombonera. Um, the Estudiantes win was the real surprise. Of course, that was the, the Boca's first win of the year and, and Estudiantes' first defeat uh, back in the fourth round. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it is peculiar. Of course, I'm not trying to suggest for one second that this Boca team are playing football that deserves to be compared with the Bianchi side for Boca ten years ago. Not that that was particularly beautiful to watch, but it was at least functional and they looked like they had an idea about what they were meant to be doing. Um, Bianchi's the the common... Well, Bianchi and Riquelme are the common links, of course, aren't they? And both of them are, well, ten years older than they were ten years ago. Yeah, and showing that, I, I think. I mean, I, I think... I, I've not been too impressed with, with Bianchi in, in this... in this period of time with Boca and certainly... Raquel Mason's coming back from injury is not really impressed. Mm. But such is the kind of adoration and perhaps the desperation to put Raquel Mason to the side. And that's yeah. what's needed for Boca. Absolutely. This is the bizarre thing as well. I, I mentioned um, prior to the Estudiantes game, I mean, which was when Raquel Mason was going to be on the bench and possibly come on for a few minutes, I mentioned that Boca had won whatever it was, like 50% of the points in matches in which Raquel Mace played and only about 18% in matches which in which he didn't feature. So I joked, they'll send him on for the last two minutes of the game or, or start him and then sub him off after two minutes so that he's featured and they'll stand a better chance of getting the win. Of course, that's pretty much what they did. He played the last five minutes against the Studiantes. They won. He didn't play at all against Velez Southfield and they lost. Um, and he's played against Olimpo and against Racing and they've won both of those matches. So it kind of seems, indeed he scored against Olimpo as well, he scored the second goal from a penalty. Um, so it does kind of seem that that it's true. It, it doesn't matter how, how well Riquelme plays, it doesn't even matter how well the rest of Boca play. As long as Riquelme's on the pitch at some point, they will win the match. And if he's not, then they won't. That's how it's worked so far this yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I I'm not sure how long that will stand true, but I, I certainly think it helps the fact that with Riquelme on the side at least, with the side being built around Raquel May, with him just even being there, even if he doesn't really move, other players can do their jobs that they, they're functionally there to do, like Gago. Gago then can go deeper, which he would normally do, and do what he does normally. Whereas in the absence of Raquel May, he's pushed forward and obviously looks slightly lost. And I think that's the same for a number of players in the Boca team, that when Raquel May's not there, they're forced to do other functions yes that, that certainly makes sense any ideas about racing <laughs> Mostasa Merlo coming under increasing pressure now we had um, the president 
current president of Racing, the, the sitting president at least uh, until the elections are held, um, said uh, just the other day that Merlo, Mostasa Merlo, will will no- notice, he'll, he'll know himself when he needs to step to one side. Um, he, he said he, he's a, an intelligent guy, he, he um, is very linked with the club. And Blanco also said, and, and this was what surprised me, that a president would show such a tremendous confidence in his manager. He admitted that any other manager would have been given the boot by now. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think that's, that's even worse than the dreaded vote of confidence. To yeah. <laughs> um, Racing are bottom of the Donaleo final. They have four points, three of which came on the opening weekend in a 3-0 win against Colón, who of course are now top of the Donahill final and haven't lost since one of which came at home to all boys who are just awful Racing's next match nice gentle easy one at the weekend uh, away at Neil's uh, yeah. yeah well <laughs> I think that run's run's going to continue and they'll still be at the bottom of the table come uh, the end of round eight I think it's fair to suppose that and now of course we have uh, I mentioned we're going to talk about all of the big five so um, Peter Sorry. We don't have to talk about all the big five, to be honest. Just, just proving the point that Mystic Sam doesn't necessarily have an easy job. We did ask for some uh, lower league predictions. In fact, before we go on to yours, um, can we remember what Gustavo said for the uh, Primera B? Uh, yeah, I'm sure looking at them. He, we he predicted a few it. of them. Um, he predicted Atlanta to win. Yeah. And I don't think they did. Um, uh, he predicted, right, Platense versus Los Andes, which I think is the one Gustavo said was going to be the match of the weekend ended nil-nil um, we, we don't need to stop and suggest that these are, no precisely because of course we didn't see these matches it, it might not have been a, a bad game but it's, uh, it sounds entertaining when you read it out like that he said that I think he said Atlanta were going to beat Phoenix uh, which they did they, they got a 3-2 win that is the match of the weekend by the look of it looking at the goals the way the goals went in as well and I'm pretty sure as well that he said that Chicago were going to beat Defensores de Belgrano. I might have that completely wrong. No, I would, um, I would agree with you. But those were the top sides going into those rounds anyway, so it would make sense if that's what he'd said. And that's all three of those. Uh, well, sorry, both of those ended up being correct. Peter, you made one prediction. Uh, it was for Independiente to get a win at home to Huracan and end their recent poor form. How did it go? Uh, I think you know full well how it went. But uh, yeah, Huracan uh, won 1-0, um, which extends, I think, Independiente now five without a win and three defeats on, on the trot. So, uh, again, they're, they're under a s- severe amount of pressure and talking about getting the vote of confidence, I, I see this week that um, De Felipe did get the confident vote of confidence from Cantero and, and the players mm. according to reports um, but this weekend Independiente play Banfield oh do they yeah so, oh wow okay away um, away so, to be, and to be honest I think if uh, if Banfield win then they'll put them about 14 points clear of Independiente who are currently in the third, third and final promotion spot so you'd almost begin to say that it could be could put Banfield safe, even though there's a long way, yeah, a long way to go. That you you might start to think, okay, Banfield are actually promoted, and for Independiente, it would see them probably drop out of the the automatic promotion spots because it's getting very very tight. And this is the thing because Independiente actually had a bit of a let off, um, if anything, because Atlético Tucumán were held two um, two away to Instituto. Um, 
with, let me just check. Uh, it, well, in fact, Atletico took a man held Instituto. Instituto with 2 0 up after 24 minutes. Um, was still 2 0 up with 15 minutes left to go. And Atletico took a man got two late goals to rescue a 2 2 draw. Um, Crucero del Norte were held 0 0 at home to Union de Santa Fe. And that means that both of those sides missed the opportunity to leapfrog um, Independiente. Um, well, in fact, of course, Independiente haven't played at the point where, when Atletico Tucumán uh, got their draw. But if if both of those sides have won, uh, Independiente would now be level on 43 points with Crucero del Norte and would be a point behind Atletico Tucumán, who would have had 44 points if they'd managed to win. Um, no, sorry, that's not right. No, they'd be a point ahead of Crucero del Norte still because Crucero del Norte would only have 42. Um, but, yeah, it, it's looking... Um, tight for third place as you well, say and, as, and you're right yeah Banfield if they beat Independiente will be 14 points clear of them they're currently th- uh, 11 clear yeah, there's also a worrying gap uh, it's a second as well I mean mm. when you think if, if, if two of the three actually managed to break away and you had a group of four or five teams just playing for one promotion place then you know it's, it's going to be and the pressure is going to be much more on one of those four or five teams yeah, than on the others as well. I mean, I think we already have... Crucero del Norte don't win promotion. It's understandable that Crucero del Norte, they're not supposed to. If Atletico Tucumán don't win promotion, their fans are going to understand it a little more. Absolutely. If Independiente don't win promotion, then they're going to have to sell another Sergio Aguero to pay for the new stadium that will be needed <laughs> when their fans tear the current one down. Which they don't have, unfortunately. Although, having made that rather distasteful joke, I should just uh, remind everybody that when Independiente went down... Um, at the end of last season everybody was predicting the same kind of carnage that Rivers fans unleashed after they got um, relegated and it did not come to pass the, the fans all left the stadium peacefully apart from a, a couple of the Barra Brava um, do you want to dwell any further on Independiente's defeat or shall we go back to the, the other non-Big Five Primera sides we don't need to dwell on it any further <laughs> why, why am I even beginning to think oh can I think of something to say no I had a feeling you might say that. Right then, um, we've not mentioned Colón. There wasn't really much to talk about for Colón, to be honest, because they got a nil-nil draw uh, at home to Gimnasia La Plata, which keeps them top of the league. Their lead has been cut uh, to one point now, as I already mentioned. They've got 14 points. Vélez and San Lorenzo both have 13. San Lorenzo, by the way, nil-nil against Unión Española, 20 minutes in so far. Um, Estudiantes are on 12 points. How have Estudiantes managed to do that? Well, they've managed to By do it. By keeping lots of clean sheets. Yes, essentially, because they got a nil-nil draw against Atletico Rafaela. Um, they're not quite on Tigre's level of keeping clean sheets, but they do have a very tight defence. And this weekend, we'll see it tested and we'll see their nerve tested to the full, because this coming weekend, we've got the Clásico Platense. Goal! San Lorenzo have scored, Manuel Matos has scored by the look of it. I wasn't looking at the screen though, so it's been right. Um, they have fallen off, quite undeniably. Um, they won the first three matches in a row, 1-0, 1-0, 2-1. Then of course, as we mentioned already, they lost to Boca in the fourth round, and since then they've drawn three in a row. 0-0 against Newell's at home, 0-0, uh, 1-1 sorry, against Belgrano de Córdoba away, and 0-0 against Atletico de Rafaela um, this weekend. Just gone, not a particularly interesting game, I don't think. I missed yeah, I didn't it, see it, but from what I've read, um, Estudiantes this season are not really a team that you put in your diary to, to watch. No, <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to look up when they oh they don't play Tigre until the last weekend, so who knows? By that time, both sides might have started scoring now and then, but um, I'm not going to put any money on that. 
Others. Others, others. Lanus. Lanus beat Argentinos Juniors 2 0. Who doesn't? It's about as routine as a 2 0 away win can get. Um, with goals from Diego Gonzalez right before half time and Jorge Ortiz seven minutes or so uh, before full time. Argentinos still in the mire. They've got injury problems, although some of those are starting to come back. Santiago Naguel came off the bench um, after a few weeks off. Uh, Pablo Migliore is still um, out with a, a hamstring or groin injury or something um, in goal. But in fact, Neoreo Fernandez is, is arguably a better goalkeeper than Migliore. Um, so I'm not sure that that's affecting them so much. But they, they continue to have a bunch of players. When I see Argentinos, I, I can't get over the fact that I think if they got rid of some of the older players and just brought the kids through, in a relative, if they were able to do so in a relatively pressure-free environment, I think they'd do better. Um, of course, that's a very big if because they're in the relegation battle, um, which which is not going to to get any easier for them. Um, and on Monday, talking of a relegation battle in every sense of the word, uh, Kilmas were at home to all boys in a match that kicked off five minutes late because of violence in Argentine stadia. Um, Kilmes Barra Brava, two, two factions of Kilmes Barra Brava um, clashed in the platea before the match. They had to be evacuated and the match was played with with the middle bit of that platea. Didn't have anybody in it for the for most of the, the match as far as I could see on television. It says here that the, the official leader of the Barra is due to come out of prison um, anytime very soon, which is, which is why this happened. Um, the the faction that want to take control basically tried to, to invade the the popular the the, the terrace. Uh, this sounds ludicrous. Uh, it sounds like something out of Game out Game of Thrones <laughs> mixed with playground um, games about having your own sort of area of the playground that you're in control of. But this is what happened. Um, and yeah, it's or- resulted in three people with serious like life threatening injuries in hospital. Um, 12 injuries or something like this I can't uh, try to find the 10 injuries uh, one of them was a stabbing and in a very grave state um, and once they were got outside by the security forces they, they continued the, the battle in the street amazingly and this would only happen in Argentina I think the match actually took place after that um, and all boys won. Kilmas had got two wins in a row prior to that game. All boys were playing absolutely dreadfully, and they got a thoroughly deserved two-one win. They were far the better team. Um, the goals coming from that's very picky. You won't be able to hear that, listeners. But there was a sort of very low-level background hum, and it suddenly just disappeared. And I said from there, that was slightly disconcerting. Um, the goals coming from Carlos Castiglioni in the 26th minute and Nicolas Cabrera in the 82nd I really wish they wouldn't put 37th minute in the second half it makes me have to think uh, Miguel Canel pulled one back for Quilmes um, in the 90th minute but it was too little too late so Ricardo Caruso's Lombardi's return to Quilmes is suddenly well in, in the, the initial uh, bump in results that it gave them has come to a rather abrupt end and right after that Tigre surprise surprise drew again but there was an actual surprise because there were some goals in the match. Two of them, in fact. For the first time this year in a Tigre game. Um, Rosario Central took the lead 18 minutes into the second half. 
Haha, 63 minutes in. Uh, Paolo Ferrari scored a header, which is a sentence you're going to hear every day. First of all, he's the right back. Second, he's about five foot three or something. He's five foot seven or five foot eight or something. Um, and and thirdly, he doesn't score very many. I mean, he, he scored a few when he was at River, but he's not scored many since going to Central. Um, and uh, Sebastian Abreu had a penalty saved by a Tigre goalkeeper, Javier Garcia. Um, allowing Pablo Viti to equalise with four or five minutes left for Tigre. So Tigre still can't win, and they're still bloody hard to lose. Yeah. To, 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 to win against, sorry. Um, just bet your house on Tigre drawing every weekend. I think that's all we can say from that, isn't it? Yeah, I think maybe some sort of investigation into what's happened to uh, Javier Garcia as well is probably in order. Yes, um, that's a very good point. <laughs> Saving a penalty in his record of clean sheets this season is absolutely remarkable. Indeed it is. Um, I'm going to play some music now, and when we come back, we shall, we'll answer a few questions. to your listeners' questions, we're just going to mention very quickly the Copa Libertadores. We're going to mention it quickly because we're kind of in the middle of the Copa Libertadores round for this week. Well, the middle, we're, we're a third of the way through it, perhaps. Um, last night, first of all, on Tuesday, we're recording on Wednesday evening, um, as we already mentioned, Vélez Southfield Reserves lost 2-0 away to the strongest in La Paz. Their remaining fixtures in uh, Group one uh, at home to the strongest next week then they're away to Universitario no they're not that's the strongest they're away to Universitario I was about to say I thought Venice had already played them they have um, they're away to Atletico Paranaense um, of Curitiba aren't they I think in Brazil um, yes of Curitiba it's written there on the screen I thought I was being incredibly intelligent and Peter <laughs> just pointed it out to me um, and then they're at home to Universitario in the final round so far they've played three they have won two and lost last night as we mentioned um, they are well they're second behind the strongest on goal difference yes that's right um, on goal difference but uh, Atletico Paranaense play Universitario in Lima uh, oh later tonight in fact in, in uh, about three and a half hours time um, so that might have changed or yeah, it might have changed by the time uh, this podcast goes online. The other Argentine side, San Lorenzo, are currently eight and a half minutes away as I talk from half-time at home to Union Española and are winning 1-0 so far. Just to remind you, they've lost away to Botafogo, 2-0, and one at home against Independiente del Valle of, uh, of um, the Sangolqui in Colombia. Is it? Uh, no, hang on. Colombia or Venezuela? Oh, I've just confused myself. <laughs> Ecuador. They're Ecuadorian. <laughs> I'm going to Google them and make sure of this. On Peter's impossible to search on keyboard. Yes, Ecuador. Right, there we go. 
I know my South American football, this is what you listen to us for, um, who are currently beating Botafogo, in fact, 1-0 as well, at home. Um, San Lorenzo's remaining fixtures are Unione Española away, Independiente de Valle away, and Botafogo at home in the final round. Uh, but so far, not including these matches that are currently in play, San Lorenzo have got three points, Botafogo four, Unione Española two, and Independiente del Valle one. Um, so in fact, if Independiente del Valle, del Valle carry on to win against Botafogo, that group's going to be quite tight, because we'd have, if the current score lines hold up, we're going to have San Lorenzo on six points, Botafogo and Independiente del Valle both on four, and Unione Española on two. Group three, and this is where we get into Thursday night football. Oh, yes. We're going to attempt to dub it uh, for this week only <laughs> on Hand of Pod, because... Um, Although there are no midweek uh, domestic fixtures this week, and we all, and particularly those of us who have to watch all of them and then update their betting previews immediately afterwards, um, are very grateful for this fact. Tomorrow is going to almost feel as if they are, only with even more stupid kickoff times, because tomorrow three Argentine sides are in Copa Libertadores action. Lanús are going to be. Away to Deportivo Cali of Colombia, which we'll get onto that one in a second because that's the really ridiculous kickoff time that I wish I wasn't going to have to stay up for. Um, and when I say I wish I wasn't going to have to stay up for a game, you know it's kicking off late. Uh, Newell's Old Boys tomorrow evening, on Thursday evening, we should say when we say tomorrow because it'll probably be online on Thursday this episode, are away to Gremio of Porto Alegre at 2115 and the other Argentine side, Arsenal de Sarandí, who are in Group 8, are... Now, can we remember this? Off the top of our heads, without seeing? No, I don't think we can. Can we? They're at home to Peñarol um, of Montevideo. Arsenal currently second in their group with a game in hand over Santos Laguna. They would not catch Santos Laguna even if they beat Peñarol. They will go to six points if they do. They've got three. Santos Laguna have seven. And Suategui have two. And Peñarol have won but Santos Laguna and Suatagi have both played a game more um, Newell's situation is that if they win they would go probably oh no they, um, if they beat Gremio they would they would leapfrog Gremio into first place on goal difference of group six um, they've currently got three points Gremio have six Atletico Nacional um, and Nacional slightly confusingly are allowed to play in the same Copa Libertadores group I wish they won um, played last night in Medellin and do you know what that match was mostly notable for Peter? I'm going to hazard a guess at the sending off that happened after 20 seconds or something the fastest red card in Copa Libertadores history um, was shown to Atletico Nacional player Alejandro Cabral I think, it, I think it's Cabral um, after 27 seconds yeah, of their impressive. match the foul actually took place after 23 seconds, uh, but the red card came out four seconds later. Um, and, yeah, Nacional very quickly got into a 2-0 lead, and then in the second half they ballsed it up and ended up drawing 2-2. That doesn't have anything at all to do with Argentine football, apart from the slightly tenuous link that Newell's old boys are in the same group, but it is remarkable, so I thought I'd just mention it. It's definitely worthy as I mentioned. Um... Universidad de Chile were also involved in a very entertaining match. In fact, both of Group 5 games last night, again, not involving any Argentine um, uh, teams, but both of them were, were pretty uh, decent matches. Defensor Sporting beat Cruzeiro 2-0, fully deserved win in Montevideo, and Real Garcilaso 
lost 2-1 at home to Universidad de Chile in, in a, another entertaining match a little later in the evening. Um, that's a really tight group. Defensor Sporting and Ude Chile both have six. Cruzeiro and Real Garcilaso both have three. Um, but of those sides, Cruzeiro have got two home matches coming up. Uh, and Garcilaso, just the one. With well, if home advantage counts for anything, at least I would I would say Cruzeiro. I think probably fancy their chances of overhauling. They probably fancy their chances of overhauling one of Udo Chile in defence or Sporting, but finding out which one it's going to be is another matter entirely. And of course, the Nacional. Uh, sorry, the Lanús um, kickoff time that I mentioned earlier. The Arsenal and Newell's matches both kick off. At, well, Arsenal kick off at I think seven thirty in the evening. Newell's at quarter past nine, as I already mentioned, and Lanús. Away to Deportivo Cali, kick off at half past 11 Argentine time. This is what happens when Colombia is two hours behind, I think it's two hours behind Argentina, uh, meaning that that match is going to be ending at quarter past one in the morning local time. I'm going to have to stay up until the end of it and then file a report. People in Europe listening who may stay up to watch that will probably be thinking that's an early finish. (laughs) Quite possibly. Yeah. And not that there's probably that many people staying up to watch uh, Lanús versus Deportivo Cali. I do remember when I lived in Bristol and worked in the hospital there and had to take a day, two days off work when Boca got to the 2008, I think it might have been, uh, final of the Copa Libertadores. Um, I decided to, to just take the days as days off. <laughs> To, to book them in advance so that I could watch it because I was going to have to write about it obviously for ESPN afterwards um, so no in fact it would have been the 2009 or 2000 no it would have been the 2009 final because um, by 2010 I was living here um, uh, because it kicked it ended at something like 6 o'clock the second leg 6 o'clock UK time so 2 in the morning 2 in the morning here because it went to, to penalties afterwards um, it was it was in or there was a delay to the second half or something I can't remember but it was um yeah so not not quite as late now that I'm actually on the same continent at least it's a bit better um, how do we see their chances of, of advancing for each of the Argentine sides so far Peter obviously it's tricky because oh. most of them apart from Venice have only played two matches so far um, but Group One are Venice going to go through yes I think Belez, uh their next game obviously the the return fixture against the strongest in Liniers. You would expect Venice to, to field a, a first-choice 11 for that game and probably pick up the win, which would put them in a pretty commanding position. Yes. In, in, in that. Um, I mean, the, as we say, the team at their level on top, at the top with at the moment are the strongest, and I think it's safe to say that the strongest are not going to go through to the second round. Um, Bolivian sides don't have the best record in the Copa Libertadores, yeah. to put it mildly. Uh, in Group 2, are San Lorenzo going to go through? Given that we're currently approaching half-time of their third match, it's perhaps slightly too early to call this, but we know how to how to do things on hand of form, <laughs> so we're going to mention it anyway. I would Again, I would, I would say yes, they will. Uh, I think... I'm not sure, not watching the other game, whether that'll stay the same, but I would expect San Lorenzo to win this, which would obviously put them on... On six points, um, I guess you, you. I guess you'd expect from Group Two, San Lorenzo and Botafogo to probably, to probably be the two strongest candidates to to go through as they are at present. Even if Botafogo are currently losing. Yeah, if I had to predict something, I would probably go for Botafogo to go through in 
I think San Lorenzo are actually going to pit Botafogo on the basis that San Lorenzo's last game is at home to Botafogo. Mm-hmm. I think that they'll be able to outwit them. It would not surprise me at all. I've not been too impressed with what we've seen of Unión Española so far, but judging by the current result, as we meant, uh, the current scoreline, as we mentioned already, um, in scrolls down to find the name of it again, in Sangolki, um, it would not surprise me too much if Independiente del Valle managed to throw a spanner in the works of somebody, although who that's going to be is another matter. Um, although having said that, they've got two away matches coming up in the final three games, so we shall see. Um, Lanús, Group 3, apparently bottom of it, they've only got one point from the first two games. Uh, Cerro Porteño and Deportivo Cali both have three points and O'Higgins have four. I think Lanús are probably the, in the most precarious position at present of the Argentine sides. I mean, you could almost understand if they put what like the tourney off in L as a priority, of a, but they're not really doing particularly well in either. No. Um, so their match tomorrow is 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 pretty big because if you look at the table, um, a defeat at the halfway mark would they'd still be bottom of the group. Yeah. I guess. Um, uh, you know, in, in fact, even if, if they draw, they'll still be bottom of the group. Yeah, exactly. And I think the pressure would really then be on in those final three fixtures. I mean, obviously, we're looking at the halfway mark of the group stage, but they would be playing catch up. And as we mentioned, they're, they're away on Thursday night to Deportivo Cali. Then they're at home to Deportivo Cali. Then away, uh, sorry, at home to Cerro Porteño, uh, and then away to O'Higgins in the final match. So mm-hmm. really, they need to, to get two home wins in the next three games. Um, hopefully. I mean, ideally, they want to draw tomorrow night at least um, to go into that final away game with O'Higgins with some kind of a chance. But O'Higgins are champions of Chile. They've already taken a nil-nil draw from their away match against Lanús on the first weekend. Um, the first weekend? The first week of the company mm-hmm. Um So, I think we'll you're, see. You're probably really looking easy. at four points um, what needed from this head-to-head with Deportivo Cali. Yes, I'd agree. Uh, Newell's a third, but have a game in hand in Group 6. I think we're probably confident that Newell's are going to, to get through that one, aren't we? Yeah. They lost narrowly away to Atletico Nacional, um, and they have the home match, the, the, the revenge, as they say in Spanish, the revancha, still to come. Thrash Nacional, 4-0. Nacional are proving to be the, the whipping boys. No, they're not. Well, they lost at home to Gremio by one goal, and then drew... Um, Last night, of course, I've already talked yeah, yeah. about it. Two-two against Atletico Nacional against ten men for practically the entire game, so it's not brilliant. Um, so I think New are going to be able to, to get through there, although whether in first or second is another matter. Um, and Group Eight, Arsenal, this the, the big unknown because of course Arsenal, as Santi's mentioned already on Hand of Pod this year, Arsenal is the first time that they've really had a a realistic chance of actually advancing from the Copa Libertadores group stage. The previous Rounds they've always been a, a third or fourth seed. They ended up in Atletico Mineiro's group last season, of course, with um, who, who went on to win the trophy. Uh, right now, they've won one and lost one, uh, but the one loss was in the very first week away to Santos Laguna, which is a very very long trip for them, obviously to uh, to Mexico to Torreon. Um, we're going to find out more about them when they play Peñarol. Yeah, I think, I think basically. But. This fixture and obviously the return against Peñarol is is, is going to shape, <laughs> stating the obvious perhaps. But and it is going to be vital. In fact, it's in 1900, it's not at 1930 um, tomorrow. But it's, it's going to be vital for more reasons than one because the other thing is that Arsenal 
really are very, very obviously prioritising the Copa Libertadores. Um, it seems bizarre because they haven't got a hope in hell of actually winning it, but they clearly are doing because their, their league record so far is played seven, lost five, drawn one. Uh, sorry, sorry, lost five, won two. Mm-hmm. Um, they're absolutely dreadful in the Donnell final. So it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of pressure on Argentine sides on Thursday night as we reach the halfway point to get decent results. Um, and we shall mention them again possibly in next week's episode. We'll see. So out of the five, Sam, are you going to... Out of the five, I... All five to three, or...? No, I'm not confident about Lanusa's chances at all. And as I said, I I think Arsenal might be able to edge it, but we're going to be a lot wiser on that that score after tomorrow. Um, So so we'll see. But I I think three of the five ought to be in the knockout. Vélez, Newells and uh, San Lorenzo, I think, are going to get to the knockout stages. Arsenal... We'll see, and Lanús at this stage are looking unlikely yeah. to be the, the yeah, I would say the champions. Of three, absolutely, definitely. Mm. <laughs> Not that I want to urge anyone to put any money on <laughs> any any money on my predictions, uh, but I would say three for sure, and the other two slightly less so. And now here's a little other flash of music, and we'll come back and answer a few of your questions. begin the, the listeners input section of Hand of Pod we shall mention Tom Robinson again uh, Tom Robbo 89 who has made another two fantastic memes um, to promote Hand of Pod we're going to have to come up with a, a page on the Hand of Pod blog for these have you seen them yet Peter? I'm not sure if I've seen the new ones I'm just bringing them up now if your browser will load them this is one <laughs> Which is a photo, I, I, when I first saw it, thought that it was Ricardo Caruso Lombardi being very angry at somebody, but he in fact appears to be celebrating. It's difficult to tell the yeah, two apart. Yeah, you never can tell. Um, with the, the moment Caruso Lombardi finds out the next episode of Hand of Pod is online. And uh, Tom's other one was, I, I retweeted that one, I've not, I've not retweeted the second one yet, but I think I actually prefer it, if anything. It's a photograph of Pablo Mulce during his Boca Juniors days with Hand of Pot naming and shaming Teremos since November 2010. Thank you very much for those Tom. As I say we're going to have to give you your own page on the blog or something so you can send us more of this. Um, and now onto the questions. Joshua Bramlett asks could an Argentine national team made up of Primera players advance from their World Cup group? No. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he means from Argentina's actual World Cup group, which of course is Iran, Nigeria, and oh, oh, Bosnia, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, no, I mean, I, no. No, I, I would say no. Actually, no. hang on. Now that I've actually named the teams in it. No, I mean with the t- with no, the now, teams. Now that I've named involved. the teams who are in it and. Considering what Sabella did in the Super Classico de las Americas um, on the two occasions it's been played under his, 
mandate against Brazil, who are clearly a far superior... I mean, Brazil's um, domestic national team is far superior to Argentina's, and yet he took them all the way. They've made it interesting. As it is, I don't think Argentina's... From the Argentine point of view, I don't think the Argentina's World Cup group is going to be interesting. Um, no, I no, think they can right. fully expect a minimum of seven points from that. Um, prob- probably nine, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me entirely if Bosnia-Herzegovina got, got a draw against them. Um, but they ought to be looking for, for nine points. Um, obviously, with Primera players, it's not going to be that easy, but I think they'd, they'd make it interesting. Yeah, OK. Yeah, it, it we don't know that much about Iran or about Nigeria. I mean, it's not like we've never seen them before at all and don't have a clue about any of their players, but we don't see them on as regular a basis as our European-based listeners will do for, for the most important players who are playing in the European leagues and so on. I think I'd, I would want to sit down and actually work out who, who would we be taking as our... Uh, which is perhaps for another time. <laughs> who, would, who would be in our team of Ferreira? Um, well, our team or Sabella's team? Uh, well, yes, OK. Um, but I don't know. I'm still not convinced. I, I think they, uh, I think they could, but they'd probably be scraping it. In. They, they wouldn't do. I mean, it goes without saying they wouldn't do it as, as clearly as the actual national team. <laughs> um, impressive goal asks: Can you mention what it would take for Tevez to get called up, and whether Argentine fans are pushing Sabella to do it? We get this question. Or, or a related, I mean, you know, something along the, a similar lines every few weeks at least. Um, right, first of all, so, so we'll go back for the benefit of new listeners. Uh, the reason that Tevez doesn't get a call up for Argentina more than anything um, is that he doesn't get on with Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi doesn't get on with him. Uh, they rub each other up the wrong way, it would seem. They both, well, Messi at least has, has sort of denied this. Tevez has never actually said it outright, but he's, he's hinted at it. Um, it's made easier to drop Tevez by the fact that he's not really had a decent game for Argentina since maybe the 2006 World Cup, if we're being generous, prior to being dropped. He was very poor during the Copa America, for instance, under Batista, after having been included at Julio Grandona's express request, apparently, when all the players, the, the, the people, the fans, all urged um, him to be, to be picked up. Um, I think it doesn't help that he's... From Sabella's point of view, leaving him out, it doesn't help that he's playing fantastically for Juve at the moment. But and So there have definitely been some appeals for him to be called up. But I think it's becoming easier for Sabella to leave him out. A, because he's clearly settled on his, his strike force anyway. Um, B, because there are, for instance, at least as many calls to, to call up Willy Cavachero, whoever in goal, and yet Romero, as we saw last week against Romania, continues to be when called upon for Argentina, solid. Um, and, and so that's sort of half of the argument one as well. You can't really say, well, you know, you can't look at another position on the pitch where Sabella's refusing to call people up and is being completely humiliated by the man he's keeping in. Um, and, of course, people are also starting to realise, actually, if it's a choice between having Tevez on your team and having Messi on your team and you can't have both of them, it's not really a choice. Um, I don't know what you think, Peter. Well, I, I just think this would probably be a, a bigger thing for the the general Argentine fan. Of course, it, I mean, he, he, is, he continues to be the player of the people. Yeah, but I mean, I think it would be a bigger bigger issue if we were in this moment of crisis with 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 the way Argentina were playing, certainly attacking-wise. Yes. And, and we, were, oh, we were looking for other options, but the reality is 
Or, if, or if Messi wasn't playing well. Yeah. If, if Messi was still conceived, uh, conceived, uh, viewed as as being um, a player who doesn't perform for Argentina as he does for Barcelona and all the rest of it, then it would be harder. But the fact is that in 21 matches that Lionel Messi has played for Argentina under Alejandro Sabella, he's scored 20 goals and set eight up. Um, yeah, so you can't really argue that Tevez would be significantly better. No. Some people may or may not like Tevez more and be of the opinion, oh no, Messi's a bottler and he doesn't do it and everything. And I've heard that opinion expressed as recently as last week by, by actual Argentines who actually watch football, um, which to me seems ridiculous. And you know, to, I'm sure all of our listeners seems ridiculous as well, but there are people who think this. Um, but it would be much easier for them to, to actually sell this kind of idea if Messi wasn't playing extraordinarily for Argentina obviously not last week against Romania he was poor as well the rest of the attack um, but in general over the last two two and a half years um, he's, he's been superb whether Argentine fans are pushing Sabella to do it yes yeah, some still are some some are still saying that they would they would pick Tevez ahead of Messi and they, um, they always will regardless of the, the, hmm. the same people probably wouldn't even be looking at Tevez's Juve form <laughs> would probably just because he's more of the the people's champion <laughs> would would push through. So, well, this is the other thing as well. I mean, um, ESPN are not showing as much Italian football this season as they were last. Fox Sports are now sharing the rights with them, and a lot of uh, Juventus games are getting shown. But a lot of them are getting shown on Fox Sports Two, which I only found out yesterday because it's included as standard on Directv. But apparently, for people with normal bog standard cable, it's a premium channel. Um, so a lot of these people aren't even able to watch Tevez playing for Juve they, they just read about it um, so yeah I mean precisely what you say it's his popularity as a, as a person as much as anything um, and for what he represents the kid who came out of the bad, of the, uh, the Vichas um, and, and uh, achieved his dream um, for what he represents for the people more than anything in terms of Tevez it kind of overlooks the fact that the area that Messi came from in Rosario isn't exactly nice either according to Rob who went there a few weeks ago um, Tom Robinson uh, publicity uh, driver <laughs> asks with the likes of Jose Luis Gomez and Jonathan Silva emerging is Argentina's problematic fullback situation looking more promising with Jose Luis Gomez I'm not so sure because if you've actually seen him play for Racing recently I mean as with everybody else playing for Racing in fairness to him um, hmm and Jonathan Silva, if he got called up, I know exactly what everybody in Argentina would say. Well, I mean, this is... This is... <laughs> Which is, Sabella just keeps picking Estudiante <laughs> players, why is he doing it? Um, this is certainly down the line anyway. I mean, yes, fullback is a weakness in the Argentina current squad, but, I mean, neither of those players are going to be... I'm just going to now very quickly just look... Uh, Jose Luis Gomez is about 19 or something, but I'm looking up how old Jonathan Silva is. Um, it turns out that there's more than one person in the world called Jonathan Silva. Who'd have thought that? Someone had to put Estudiantes into this search box. Worryingly, most of those Google images seem like mugshots. They do, don't they? The top... Well, three of the top four... Uh, no, yeah, four of the top eight. Um, uh, definitely are. Uh, let me see. 19. 19-year-old? Wow. Didn't realise he was that young. I thought he was 20 or 21. Long term, in that case, you'd have to say... Potentially, yes. Silva in particular is, as we mentioned already, Estudiantes' defence has been impressive this year. Um, so he's a member of, of an impressive backline. 
Um, and of course, one that Sabella is going to be keeping a close eye on if, if Sabella stays in the job beyond the World Cup. Um, with Jose Luis Gomez, <laughs> as with so many players, I think they'd be well served by getting the hell out of Racing. Um, but having said that, Racing are churning through promising players on an individual level. I think the problem seems to be getting them to play together, getting the team blend more than anything else. Um, so, long term perhaps, but at the same time you have to say that two players doesn't make a trend. No. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously Tom's, not, Tom's picking those out as examples yeah. rather, than, uh, rather than as every single uh, promising Argentine fullback. I guess Perusi is, is more the immediate potential fullback that could break in to the actual first team of the, of the national side. He's um, been, I think he was named in the squad against Romania. Yeah, he was. Yeah. The last few squads. He got back so he's in. probably going to the World Cup. Whether he actually gets any playing time is another matter, but he will probably be there. And certainly long term, you're, you're entirely right. Um, again, he's a right back. Left back is, is to me the real problem issue. Um, if Peruzzi was maybe a couple of years older and a couple of years further down the line in terms of his development already, then for this current World Cup you could be talking about maybe shifting Pablo Sabaleta to left back and, and using Peruzzi at right back and you'd have a, a fairly balanced defence there but the real issue is as much as anything there's just no cover on the other side of the pitch from Sabaleta and you can't play him at right back and left back at the same time yeah. <laughs> unfortunately maybe having a Sanetta you could do but not with, Sane, uh, not with uh, Sabaleta oh that's it that's the last question Gustavo sent me a, a message whilst we were um, recording and, and that's, that's, that's all. So thank you very much for your questions, everyone. Um, we have, we're in discussions, by the way. I, I'm, I'm not entirely sold on the idea um, about potentially starting up a Hand of Pod Facebook page which would allow non-Twitter users to also send their questions in, among many other things. Um, if you're a fan of the idea and you're not on Twitter then you can let me know by emailing me at sam at astalegolsiempre.com um, or the contact form on the Hand of Pod blog, handofpod.wordpress.com. Uh, the reason I mention this is, is that uh, Facebook's algorithms and whatnot sort of make up their own mind who to show and how many people to show various stories to. So I'm not entirely sold on the idea of starting a Hand of Pod page. I'm not sure how much value there would be in it for promoting the website, but Santiago um, is convinced that it would send our listener numbers into the millions each week so we shall see um the other point that i should make by the way although it's a few weeks away is that with all of these midweek rounds um we're considering starting to record at sort of midday on on tuesday afternoon at the beginning of a midweek round so that we can get the podcast on a little bit earlier in the week when i say we obviously i'm using the royal we there i'm talking about myself um it's not been discussed really with anybody. Peter's now looking at me with a very worried face. Well, um, maybe not after days. <laughs> no. <laughs> we shall see. It'll probably involve a little bit less fernet, given that I've just got out of bed and will be recording in my living room. I don't know. It's quite um, sort of uh, street street style in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> what better way to start the day? Uh, Midday bo- box of wine. Sounds like, a, sounds like it could be an old Guinness advert <laughs> from the 1920s. Could, no. um, right. I'm now going to play some more music. This is Mystic Sam's music, in fact, and when we come back, I shall tell you what to bet your pocket money on this coming weekend. Don't go anywhere. Here's what you should bet on this weekend. On Friday evening, Atletico de Rafaela 
host Willis subs. Actually, do you know what? For a bit of fun, I'm going to read out everybody's full names this week. <laughs> if I can remember, Rafael is Asociación Mutual Social y Deportiva Atlético de Rafaela versus Club Atlético Willis Sarsfield. I think that that's going to be a draw. Rafaela, not easy to beat in Rafaela. Venice, um, of course, are going to be better rested than most Libertadores participants, having not actually used their first team, but draw for that one. Club Atletico Belgrano versus Club Olimpo. Uh, Belgrano should win that one. Club Atletico San Lorenzo de Almagro, who are currently still leading Union Española 1-0, five minutes into the second half, versus Club Atletico Colón. Uh, Low-scoring draw, I think. Although, if you're going to be betting in play, and if Nico Blandi is in the starting lineup, cross out both of those and don't bet anything on it, because it wouldn't surprise me if San Lorenzo got a win then. Club Atlético Tigre versus Club Deportivo Godoy Cruz Antonio Tomba. I think is obviously going to be a draw because it's a Tigre match. That's an easy one. Club Atlético All Boys versus Club Atlético River Plate. River Play, sorry, uh, draw. Given that it's a River away game. Club Atlético Boca Juniors versus Asociación Atlética Argentinos Juniors, the Clásico Maradoniense, the Clásico Juniorsense. Neither of these are actual Clásicos. We just make them up every time they play. I'm going for a Boca Juniors home victory. Arsenal Football Club versus Club Atlético Rosario Central. Central to win that one, I think. The big one, we shall leave until last, even though it's not being played last. Club Atletico Newell's Old Boys versus Racing Club. I think that Newell's ought to be able to win that one in spite of the fact that they have had two days preparation time. And Club Atletico Lanús against Quilmes Atletico Club is also going to be a Lanús victory. And now to go back to the Clásico. Club Gimnasia y Prima La Plata versus Club Estudiantes de La Plata. I'm going for a draw. Yeah. I'm bottling it, basically. Um, Estudiantes, if you do want to place any uh, any money on that one, and if you place any um, importance whatsoever in, in the history of these things, uh, Estudiantes have 59 wins to Gimnasia's 50 and 58 draws, including the amateur era, because being a Clásico is one of the few fixtures that we've got reliable stats for in the amateur era. But over the last 10 meetings, Estudiantes have won 7 and Gimnasia have won 1. So almost all of that 9-win advantage for Estudiantes has come in the last 6 seasons or so. How do you think that one's going to go, Peter? No I, think the, I would say the draw is probably the most likely. I mean, Given that Estudiantes are finding it slightly difficult to score at the moment. But also finding it quite easy not to concede. Exactly. <laughs> if, that, you're, that's, if you're putting a positive slant on it. And, and Gymnasia, uh, without Eric Correa, are not going to be as much of a threat. Though. That's the main reason that I've gone for it. Um, it's also worth mentioning that the uh, one of the two draws in those last ten matches was the last time they played each other. It was 1-1 um, when the match was played in Estudiantes, uh, in, in, well, not in Estudiantes Stadium, but in the Municipal Stadium in La Plata six months ago. Uh, who are Independiente playing this weekend? Banfield. Of course, yeah, you already yeah. said so. Would you like to make a prediction for that? <laughs> I'd rather not. Thought not. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I'm surprised by the amount of time that we've actually managed to spend recording, given there are only two of us. Normally, two-person recordings are significantly shorter than normal ones, but I suppose we've had more to talk about, and we've rambled a fair bit as well. 
but never mind. Our listeners are used to this. We shall be back at around this same time next week, dear listeners. Um, we hope that you enjoy, at least for the next few weeks, the more regular um, timings of Hand of Pod that you're more used to. Um, uh, and, and hopefully our listener figures will start going up a little bit after my pretty much breaking down and crying to you all at the beginning of, of the last episode. I think maybe um, next time that might help. But, yeah, it might do. Tears always, you know, help in these situations. If we had video, maybe, maybe we should shoot a video of some sort, a promotional hand of pod video. Have you cried? Yeah. <laughs> all of us crying, why not? Emotion gets people. Anyway, if emotion gets you, then we'd like to say thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts um, for, for listening to us every week. Uh, and for now, it's goodbye from Peter. And goodbye, and I hope next time you have more to listen to than just me. Uh, and obviously you'll have Sam. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>